Broadcasting from behind the Second Amendment Iron Curtain in the shadows of the New York City skyline, this is Gun For Hire Radio, the voice of one million New Jersey gun owners, with your hosts, Sandy Berardi and Master Firearms Trainer, Anthony Calandra. Live from the land that freedom forgot, the most listened to Second Amendment broadcast in the nation. Welcome to it. So, a lot going on uh, in New Jersey, and if you're not listening to Gun For Hire Radio every week, and if you're not passing it around, you're posting questions on the internet, asking repetitious questions that you would have the answers for. So please share this show with all of your friends and family, and anybody 2A related. So... We have some cases going on. We have the assault weapons ban case. We have the magazine case. And obviously, we have the huge carry case. And this week, the state of New Jersey was trying to, what's that word, enjoin? What's the word? Consolidate. Consolidate. Mind your business. So we had, <laughs> they're trying to consolidate the cases. So Dan Schmutter had a, uh, on Wednesday, had a, or Thursday, had a Zoom. And then Friday, he went down to Camden for the carry case. So we have Dan on the show again. Uh, and without further ado, our 2A rock star that someday will be down before the Supreme Court pleading a case, hopefully uh, ours, to whack their PPs really good because these uh, states have overplayed their hands tremendously, I believe. So without further ado, Daniel Schmutter from Hartman Winnicky in Ridgewood, New Jersey. Dan, tell us first about the, the five-year-old cases and work your way up to the current case Please inform everybody the entire show is yours again. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on again. I appreciate it very much. <laughs> You're welcome. And I feel I feel like if we were physically in the studio, Anthony would have tried to slit my throat just now for having uh, corrected him. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would have just looked at you harder. When, when Scott's in the studio with me, I Google uh, really obscure pictures and stuff and show them to him while he's talking <laughs> yes, to get him yes. to laugh. Yes, that's right. Yes. Wait, Scott laughs? I understand. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sandy's had to take the mic a few times because Scott went off the rails because I showed him something that was a little improper or whatever. Uh, yes. Got to loosen him up once in a while. That's Go ahead. Tell us, Dan. Start, I guess, with the, the Magban case because if I see one more post, what's going on with our Magban case? Right. So so, <laughs> so he, he, here's, what, here's what's happened. So New Jersey, New Jersey does not like the fact that they're getting sued in multiple cases uh, what I told uh, the judge on Wednesday was that you know the reason New Jersey is getting sued in so many cases is that they have so many unconstitutional <laughs> laws you know it's their fault not our fault <laughs> anyway, uh, stop passing so many unconstitutional laws and you won't get sued so much so um, as your listeners know they they have been trying to consolidate various cases and um, everybody uh, knows what happened with the consolidation motion in the um, in the Siegel and Coons cases, the, the carry lawsuits, um, and that actually worked out very well for us. Um, but they're doing something similar in some of the other cases. So the, your listeners are familiar with the well, now almost five-year-old magazine case. Uh, we went uh, up to the Third Circuit twice. We went up to the Supreme Court. We got a remand after uh, Bruin, and now we're back down to the district court. Um, but there are two assault firearm cases, cha- cases challenging the assault firearm law. Um, Elman versus Plattkin, which is my case, and Cheeseman versus Plattkin, uh, which is uh, FPC SAF case. Um, and they are trying to consolidate those two very recently filed assault firearm cases uh, with the almost five-year-old magazine case, which is which is lunacy, because it doesn't make sense. Well, it right. doesn't make sense at all. Because the uh, the magazine case is much farther along in terms of the the record. I mean, we had a trial in 2018. We had very important and very uh, very relevant fi- findings of fact by the, the the trial court. Don't forget, the trial court found that the the, the disputed magazines are um, traditionally possessed or typically possessed by law-abiding individuals for lawful purposes. That's frequently called the common use test. Um, I like to call it the common possession test, but that is a, a, a critical test Right, that comes right out of the Heller decision, um, which indicates what kinds of equipment the state cannot prohibit. And so if you meet that test, the state cannot prohibit, uh, cannot ban that th- those uh, those items. 
whether they're guns or magazines or anything else. And the court already found that we met that test. The case should be over. Um, and so the idea that the magazine case should be uh, uh, sort of rolled up with the, these, these newer cases makes absolutely no sense. And this was the essence, this is one of the important arguments that we made on Wednesday when the, uh, the court heard oral argument in this, uh, on this consolidation motion. Now, the, the court did not rule, um, uh, did not rule uh, you know, from the bench, so the court reserved the decision and indicated that uh, we're going to see a written opinion. Um, we don't know when we're going to see that, but I imagine we'll probably see it fairly soon. Um, and we'll see what we'll see what the court does. But uh, you know, New Jersey wants to wants to save money by uh, by consolidating cases, and you know sometimes that's a reasonable approach. But when you're consolidating cases that have nothing to do with each other, uh, just because you want to save resources, that's really ridiculous, and it's unfair to uh, try to drag the magazine case down by consolidating with with cases that are that are brand new you know uh, so so look we'll see what the court does but that's where that's where that is so now tell me uh, if the if the court consolidates the cases it's going to happen slower or how, well, like it, what are we looking at like timelines i know you un, can't it's give it's unclear me, it's, exactly what's going to happen the pro, the problem the reason the consolidate th- this particular consolidation is really inappropriate is that the cases would then proceed together, and the court would be presumably making uh, timing decisions and scheduling decisions for everything together. Now, it doesn't stop us from doing certain things that we want to do, but it, it does potentially um, it does potentially uh, cause it could it could slow our case down. Um, we'll have to see. If the judge mm-hmm. does it, we're going to have to contend with it, and we're going to have to try to manage things as best as we can. Um, but it could slow us down, and that's really unfair. But, but but again, the judge hasn't made a decision. We'll see what he does. Um, if he does it, we're going to have to manage it as best as we can, and we'll try to we'll try to move things in an appropriate way. Uh, you can't really predict exactly what's going to happen until it happens, and then. You sure. know, uh, and if it doesn't happen, that's great. How long before you think? How long before you think we get a ruling from the judge on that? It, it, it's impossible to say. Um, you know, it, there's no way to know how quickly he's going to move on this. You know, the judge knows that. He, he knows that. We, we've we've said that we. It's important that we be able to move quickly. So he knows that he's not going to. You know, I don't think he's going to intentionally drag his feet on this. Uh, but uh, other, uh, you know, other than that, there's really no good way to know when he's going to make the decision. So uh, so that's holding up our uh, to go from 10 rounds to 15 rounds. And also the assault weapons ban is all, you know, having evil features and stuff on our guns. And you feel, how, do you, how confident do you feel on both of those post-Heller? A, a lawyer answer, obviously. Do you feel confident? Like, uh, do you feel it from a 1 to 10? Po- do you feel an 8 po- or above that we should be successful po- post-Bruin? Yeah. Yeah, like are you an eight or a nine from a one to ten? There's no way to you know, Anthony. There's, there's no way to do that. Ugh, I hate lawyer well, answers. Okay, but, you know, it, but it, 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 I get it, it. It reflects reality. I mean, you know, as, as yes. I've said many, many times on your show and elsewhere, you, you can't predict what judges are going to do. Um, Correct, because they're people, and judges do yeah. people things. Just like you know, you can't predict what people are going to do. Um, but in your opinion, the post Bruin, uh, Thomas and at Al, they made it pretty clear that that stuff should not be restricted. Well, I, I, I think that, you know, and again, I've said this many times as well, Bruin really does provide a great deal of clarity for, for judges to rely on. And the tools that Bruin provides are really powerful. Um, you know, one of the, th- and, and we've learned this since Bruin, we've learned this, that Bruin sent a clear message. And what's nice to see is that many judges are, um, recognizing that, you know, let's not let's not forget what happened a few weeks ago um, uh, when uh, Judge Williams, who was the judge we previously had in the Siegel case, the Carey case, um, when we were arguing the consolidation, well, we were arguing the TRO and we were also arguing the consolidation motion um, of those cases. Uh, judge Williams said, you know, uh, uh, the Supreme Court has spoken. Um, sometimes you complain about the lack of clarity from the Supreme Court, but not here. Um, that mm-hmm. was really, it was really nice to hear, um, you know, that, that it, it was pretty clear to that judge 
what the, that there was a clear message from the Supreme Court. That's really one of the best things about the Bruin decision, is that is the clarity of message to the lower courts, um, because the worst thing about the you know the the, the time between the McDonald decision in 2010 and Bruin um, in 2022 is that the lower courts were really either not understanding Heller or disregarding Heller in most respects. Um, you had good decisions here and there, which was great, but there were so many terrible decisions which either reflected willful disregard of the Supreme Court's holding or just a, a lack of understanding of what, of what the, the holdings meant. And so when you see courts getting the message clearly um, and unambiguously, uh, it's really great to see, and that's that. That is one of the best things, the most important things about Bruin, was the clarity of message. So, you know, it doesn't mean we're going to win every case, and it doesn't mean every judge understood the message. But when you see, you know, when you see, because uh, we, we've seen some really, we've you know, since since June when uh, Bruin was decided, we've seen some some good rulings, um, and a much higher percentage of good rulings than we saw um, in the period uh, before Bruin. So, you know, it's, it's encouraging to see that uh, because when Bruin came down, it was all very exciting and we read it and we said, oh, my God, this is amazing. And, you know, it, it's all very exciting to read it and say how great this is. But we did the same thing after Helen and McDonald, of course, and we know what happened in the aftermath. There was there was so many bad rulings after that. So you don't know what's going to happen when you read a case like Bruin. You, you read and you say this is gotcha. magnificent, but you don't actually know what's going to happen until the courts start wrestling with it. And we've seen some pretty good stuff. You know, not everything is not every decision has been good, but a, a, a really nice critical mass of decisions have been really good. So it's very encouraging to see that, you know, and it gives us it gives us reason to believe that we might see some good, you know, we have a chance of seeing some good stuff happening in these cases, uh, both the 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 magazine case uh, and the uh, assault firearm case, and, it, and whether or not it's from the district court or from the, or from the Third Circuit, you know, we we like our chances, and uh, and that's. That's really it's a nice it's nice to be able to say that, um, you know. Again, there's lots of bumps. It's there's nice to be able. It's nice to be able to hear that. Yeah, um, you know. You know, and there's going to be fits and starts. There's going to be bumps. There's going to be setbacks. There's going to be wins and losses. You know how it works. We talk about this all the time. It's, it's correct. There's wins. There's losses. You want more wins. Than, you want more wins than losses. You want more steps forward than back. You know. Um, and you know, my my sense of ruin for, since, since it was decided has been it gives us a lot. It's, it's a it's a good you know. I feel like uh, I feel like I'm in uh, a, a Toyota Tacoma rather than a Toyota Tercel, you know. So that's <laughs> good. Good analogy. So so to enlighten our listeners, you had a development earlier last week. Uh, with now we're on the Siegel case, which for everybody out there is the is the Carry case, um, the FPC case. They um, they got. Um, a temporary restraining order for five sensitive places. Now Dan is asking for restraining order for a ton more sensitive places, and then for a permanent injunction for the rest of the stuff. And you know he's going to get into that in detail. But out of nowhere, um, the Senate President um, and the Assembly Speaker Coughlin and Squatiri they filed a court motion to intervene in our lawsuit. Uh, and, uh, you know, you guys, are the ANGRPC ad uh, uh, notification came out and said it was odd. Dan, w w what is your take on this? Like in English, what are, we, what are we to make of something like this? It's really hard to know what, uh, what, uh, what this is about. Um, I will tell you that um, um, Mark Smith, a very smart lawyer and law professor, uh, did a, a YouTube video in which he says that... Um, it means they're scared. Uh, he, he, his assessment of this means is basically is that they think that they think their law is going down, and they want, they're trying to do something to, to anything to kind of in desperation to try to prop it up. And he may be right. I, you know, um, Mark is very very smart on these topics, and, and he's often right about these things. Um, you know, now, from my own perspective, it's it's hard to it's hard to tell because it's a very unusual move you don't you very rarely see legislators do this kind of thing the only the only time you see legislators do this and actually mark gives really good examples in his uh, in his uh, video Legi legislators only do this when they are politically at odds with the executive branch so a good example is the peruta case in california so and there, there are there are cases there are from time to time 
there are cases like this. Um, I believe uh, we saw this in. Um, I believe we saw this in. Um, might have been one of the. It was one of the uh, same-sex marriage cases. I forget which one it was, but where you have a a a, a, a difference, a political difference between the executive branch, whose job is it is to litigate uh, uh, challenges to legislation, and the legislature who passed the legislation. Because you can imagine you have a, a, a law that is passed by a different party, and now you have, a, let's say, a, an executive and an attorney general of the other party who didn't like the law to begin with, right? And so when the law is challenged, they would love to see the law be defeated, and so they're, not, they're either not going to defend it at all, or they're not going to defend it very aggressively. Well, if you have a legislature of the opposite party, they may go to court and say, listen, judge, they're not defending this law. We want to be able to the right to intervene so we can defend the law because they're of the other party and they would love to see this thing be declared invalid. So we, ha we should have the right to defend it because it's not being defended adequately. So that's, that's the kind of situation where you have seen and might see a legislature come in and ask the court to be allowed to intervene and defend the law. But the big difference here, Dan, is that's when it's two different political parties. In New Jersey, it's the same political parties and, and that's a, that are that filed this. So tell us what 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 does this mean? What is this trans transmitting to you? And that's exactly why it makes no sense, because um, as we know, the attorney general was is not only in favor of the law, but the attorney general was one of the uh, featured speakers at the governor's dog and pony show signing. Uh, of the bill on uh, December 22nd. And so it, it doesn't make any sense. Really, in order to satisfy the rule that would allow you to intervene in a case, what the legislators have to be saying to the court is that the attorney general isn't adequately defending the interest of the state of New Jersey. They literally have to say that to the court in order to claim a right to intervene. You know, which is which is which is crazy. So I, I don't know what they're doing here, um, and I it would be. It, I, I mean, I, I I just can't imagine why what justification the court would find to let them in. Um, they want to bring their own lawyers. Why the attorney general is not doing a good job? I mean, they actually want to say that publicly. It's bizarre. Um, so I, I don't I don't so know what this is. The about. judge could the judge can rule against that, right? Oh, yeah. The judge can say you're not going to be in part of this, right? Co correct. The judge. So the, and, and, the, the, the there are two grounds. The two bases. They're they're proceeding on two different tracks. Uh, one argument is that they have the right to intervene because they're the rules, the intervention rules provide for certain parties have the right to intervene, and the judge can't say no. Um, and then there's also permissive intervention that even though there's no absolute right to do it they nevertheless should allow them to do it. And I just don't see how they're going to satisfy either one of those. It's a very, very strange application uh, in this particular case. Weird, right? So we'll, we'll see what the judge says. Now, she, didn't, she didn't discuss that. She didn't discuss that um, this week because of, uh, it, was, it was for the restraining order. It wasn't for the, it wasn't for the restraining order. It was for the temporary injunction, right? Yeah, she, she noted that the motion had been filed, but there was, there was no, no discussion on the merits because it hasn't been fully briefed yet, and it's not time, you know, it's not time for her to decide. Yet. Okay. Cool. 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 All right. So now let's talk. So you went down to Camden, lovely Camden on Thursday. Did you stop at some like an outdoor place, a bistro, and have something to eat or something while you were down there? Or I no? Did, I did not. <laughs> um, I did. I did. I, I did. However, uh, afterwards, stop off and have a cheesesteak at Donkey's Two in Medford. Oh, nice. oh, that's the best. Yeah. There's nothing like that poppy seed roll, baby, with the onions it, in it. It's a you did. It good. is a very strange cheese cheesesteak, though. The, the shape. The fact, yeah, the fact but that it's, it's, on it's essentially you know, it's essentially a Kaiser roll. I mean, the fact that it's on a round roll is roll. very weird. You know, I'm used I'm yeah. used to Pats or Jim's. I'm used to the the real cheese steak. Jim's. It looks like a cheese. Oh yeah. Steak, you know, so yeah. uh, you know, I went to school in Philly, and that's that was that that was my that was my cheese steak upbringing. And then this weird round thing is very strange, but it's quite tasty. All right. You so know, how about Gooey Louis on Moyamensing? Yeah. Oh, Gooey Louis is my favorite. Yeah. That, write it down next time. You're I'll go with you. Are you telling me that I have to go to Gooey Louis? I'll buy you. I'll go with you to Camden next time. Absolutely. Definitely. And, and John's. 
Oh, okay. John's is good too. Okay, well, it's on me. Gooey Louis and John's is on me, Dan. Absolutely. Uh, well, we'll, I'll to go to. Well, then I have with to come up from time. the Carolinas and it's go then too because. Yeah, no, you stay down there. The hell Sandy. with you. This okay. is Dan and I. The hell with you. All right, I'll uh, eat my barbecue. So, <laughs> all right, so Dan, so you had to go now before Judge Bum, and you had uh, Angela Kai was the uh, work for the Assistant Attorney General or whatever her her title is, right. and now you went down there to discuss the sensitive places. And then get a schedule set uh, for everything else that's going on. Uh, so you went down there. Now, I was on a Zoom call with Dan and a bunch of other people, ANGRPC, the night before. And I was going to volunteer to tuck Dan in the night before he had to go down to uh, Camden. <laughs> but I didn't, get, I, didn't get, I didn't get the chance. Everybody wouldn't shut up. Oh, on, but anyway, next time I will. Love, you don't love me. That's all I can say. Exactly. Exactly. I just use you and abuse you like that. Anyway, uh, so, so Dan, you went down there loaded for bear. I can't believe you still have to wear a mask, but it's a federal courthouse. All right, I get it. And uh, so well, you went down uh, we there. We have you to follow before. the science, Anthony. We have to follow the yes. science, which was disproved in uh, the 1918 epidemic. But let's move on. So you went down there to destroy some narratives. and uh, So start us off, I guess, multi-use property claim or whatever you want to talk about. T- freeform it, baby. Well, so... So just to remind your listeners about uh, our case um, uh, as it relates to the Coons case. So the, the, our case is Siegel versus Plappian. Uh, the other case is Coons versus Reynolds. They've been consolidated before Judge Bum, and so they're being basically handled together. They're still two distinct cases. So I want to I want to um, just just remind people about how this works because there's, you know, there's a little, understandably, a little confusion about what consolidation means. So it doesn't mean they're now one case and that they're all together. There's two, still two distinct cases, um, but they are being handled by the same judge at the same time together. So, so they're you know the the and the the filings because I know some people are are following the dockets and they're looking at the documents. It's like, it's like, the filings are all taking place in what's referred to as the lead docket, the lead case, which is Coons, because. The Siegel case was consolidated into the Coons case. The Coons case becomes the lead case, and the Coons docket number becomes the lead docket number. So if anybody's looking at PACER, which is the federal court's um, document uh, filing system, uh, or if they're looking on some other on court listener or one of the other resources, the, the, you're going to want to look for the documents um, for both Siegel and Coons under the Coons Docket. So that, that's just the sort of technical way of looking at how the filing is and where you can find documents and things like that. Um, but they remain separate as far as substance goes. So in Coons, they have a TRO, and we're, we're seeking a TRO. And to remind your listeners, a TRO is a temporary restraining order, and you're seeking uh, immediate, urgent, injunctive relief to stop the law uh, early on in the case. But it's temporary. Um, and it only lasts for a few weeks until the court can hear applications for a preliminary injunction. And the, again, to remind your listeners, the preliminary injunction is a request for the court to stop the law during the pendency of the case. So a preliminary injunction, if you get it, lasts uh, up until the end of the case, up until trial. You know, and then whatever the judge decides at the end of the case takes over from there. So these, so we we are seeking a TRO just like the plaintiffs and Coons, um, and our case, uh, our 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 case is broader. So the Coons case challenges five of the sensitive places, um, uh, including the um, vehicle restrictions, the private property presumption, the idea that you must have permission in advance to carry on private property, otherwise it is a crime. Um, and then three of the sensitive locations, uh, the library and museum prohibition, the uh, entertainment uh, facility prohibition, and the restaurant or bar that serves alcohol prohibition. So those are the five um, uh, challenges that the Coons case asserts. Um, and uh, they were able to obtain a TRO as to all five of those, which was really great, really great result. Um, our case challenges those same five, plus a whole bunch of others. Uh, we challenge uh, the airport, uh, uh, just to give examples, uh, airports and transportation hubs, um, parks, beaches, playgrounds, uh, casinos, zoos, uh, uh, 
public gatherings, uh, things like the film location. So, so we, we have a bunch of, we don't have, they're not all, we haven't challenged all of them, but we've challenged a, a handful of others. Um, and, um, and we've also uh, challenged um, something that you, you alluded to at the very be at the beginning of this part of the discussion, which is the multi-use property problem. And so, and this, this was, this was a, a very substantial topic of conversation um, at the Thursday hearing. Um, and because you know, th th there's a there's there. It's one thing to say, well, you can't. There's no legal justification or constitutional justification to prohibit carry in museums or parks. Um, but we identified a, a, a we think is a very important issue, um, and that is that the way the, the the law is drafted is it's drafted very broadly. And so, if you look at Section Seven A which is where the, the sensitive place prohibitions are found. It says, it talks about, I don't have it in front of me, but I'm just going to paraphrase, it talks about any part of the grounds or parking lots. Um, and the idea, or at least the way that, that the danger is that that can and ought, you know, could easily be read to prohibit carry in any part of a property that has multiple uses at the same time, such as a strip mall, um, or a house of worship that is not that has more than simply uh, uh, worship services, but may have uh, Bible cl Bible classes, may have sports clinics, may have uh, you know for the community, may have um, uh, Sunday school things like that, or even uh, a professional office building where you have um, you know m multiple uses in an office building. So the so in a strip mall, the problem is if you have let's say a daycare center at one end of that strip mall, um, uh, which is a prohibited use, but you also have a pizza place, uh, a tailor shop, a dry cleaner, and a Wendy's, in a Chinese restaurant. Um, if you interpret that broadly, that would mean that the entire property is prohibited merely because there's a daycare at one end of it, and you know whether or not you think a daycare should be prohibited. Um, that has nothing to do with whether you should be prohibited from carrying your handgun in a pizza place. Um, and yet, what about the restrictive trade too, Dan? For I mean, the pizza place is going to suffer a loss of business. The um, uh, all the other merchants in that particular strip mall would suffer a loss of business because people who are carrying would not patronize those other places. And and what's their relief? And, and and that's the problem, and and so so you see so you see that the what the state ends up getting is uh, much more bang for their buck. Um, you know, if you if you if you don't challenge, or you know, wh whether or not there's a basis to challenge a restriction of daycare, if they can get away with challenging, if they can get away with restricting restricting carrying a daycare. They also get you know three, four, five, six times more. Uh, 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 restrictions out of that because they're restricting everything in that property. So, yeah, so that's yeah. that's one area where you might see it. Another area you, you might see it is I mentioned houses of worship. Um, if a house of worship uh, has a school, a uh, Sunday school associated with it, or Bible classes, uh, to the extent now, now this this will we'll talk about this in a minute. We'll talk about the scope of, of what school means. But if it's if it's prohibited, if the, if the Sunday school uh, um, is a prohibition, well then the whole church building. Or the whole synagogue suddenly becomes prohibited because it talks about all of the grounds and parking lot, and so if it's if it's uh, construed broadly, then you you're prohibiting um, you're prohibiting carry in a, in a church, even though there's nothing in the statute that says that, that churches are prohibited. Um, and then the third example that and this is a, you know, the, we gave all these examples on Thursday. The other example is a professional building, and so you have a, a, a building <coughs> with law offices and accounting offices and maybe a real estate office. But on the first floor, in the back of the on the back of the in the back of the building, you've got a doctor's office or a dentist office. So again, if you're reading this broadly, the way it appears to be drafted, that dentist office on the first floor makes the entire building prohibited, even though again there's nothing in the Constitution, there's nothing in the historical tradition that could reasonably justify prohibiting, uh, uh, you know, a. Uh, 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 justify a prohibition on carry in a doctor's in a, um, a law office or and, real estate office, and there's nothing in the in the, but, in the statute that says that. So, but you and me and the judge, we know this was done on purpose, right? <laughs> and right, you know, and uh, and we can get into after the break. We can get into sort of the yes. conversation that was had. Yes.
Correct. Beautiful. So, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Samson. And coming up, another fascinating segment from the Voices of Guiding Reigns. Diane Pruitt, founder, Guiding Reigns Equine Assisted Therapy for Veterans, First Responders, and their families. If it went away, you know, we, we're reaching, we're realizing we are four years young this year, that um, our mission statement is we do serve the veterans, first responders, frontline workers, and their immediate family members. And that PTSD, the, the traumatic brain injuries, doesn't just affect the veteran, it affects the entire family. So like the first year, we just focused on veterans. The second year, we started reaching out to spouses, uh, caregivers of severely disabled veterans. You want to talk about a forgotten group. And so what we've been trying to do is do pilot programs for groups like that. And the feedback we got was, can we do this next week? Can we do this once a month? This made me realize I need, I do need some sort of therapy. And so it, it, it just, it would not give folks um, an alternative approach to wellness. Um, this is a holistic approach, but where it gives them the reins, so to speak, to take hold of their health and their care. You know, we've met so many that are on 14, 19 prescription drugs a day. And so when they come to us, what we get is, I'm, I'm done. I don't, I I don't want to do this anymore. There's got to be a better way. And so what would happen if this went away? Um, a lot of hope would go away, too. You can help keep this life-changing and vital program alive for veterans, first responders, and their caregivers. Won't you please help? 100% of your one-time or recurring tax-deductible contribution goes directly to transforming the life of a deserving, disabled brother or sister in arms. Let's not turn our backs on those who have given themselves to preserving our liberty and rescuing us from harm. Please join me and the scores of other veterans and first responders who are stepping up to help our fallen brothers and sisters. Because if it disappears, so does hope for so many families just like yours. First thing, I'm doing some housekeeping. Uh, shout out to my adopted son, Kurt Lundy, who's been going down and writing all the minutes of all the hearings, by the way. Um, I'm probably going to buy him a car or something, just so you all know. <laughs> so all of you out there, don't be jealous when the pull-up king gets some kind of free gift or something. He earned it. I want to talk about, oh, by the way, I was at the dentist get a, getting a teeth cleaning the other day, and a woman came in, wanted to see me while my mouth was open and in a vulnerable position. It was uh, Steve Agavino's wife, Vinny Agavino's daughter-in-law. She saw my truck outside, and she just wanted to say thank you for all you do, which I thought was pretty cool. So thank you very much, but leave me alone when I'm going to get my teeth cleaned. Uh, Marty and his wife, Carol, they've been here every week. Uh, Marty's V-Burger, martysvburger.com. Mention Gun for Hire, Gun for Hire Radio. Get 20% off. They're in Manhattan. And, of course, now they have a, a delivery kitchen in Sunnyside, Queens. So check them out. If you live in the 49 states other than New York, you want to look up U.S. Law Shield, uslawshield.com. Use Gun for Hire or Gun for Hire Radio for a massive discount. If you live in New York... Peter Tillum owns NYTACDefense.com, NewYorkTACDefense.com. Mention Gun for Hire, and you also will get 10% off of your monthly uh, prescription. They are legal defense funds. That is not insurance. Insurance is still not legal in New Jersey. Dan can elaborate on that uh, in upcoming uh, episodes. Uh, remember Decoding Firearms by John Petrolino. His book and my book are both available at Aberdeen Guns in Monmouth County, Gun for Hire, Kindle, and Amazon. So support those who support you. While I'm talking about that, Quarantine Crawl, quarantinecrawl.com. 360 Pro 2A Businesses, Products, and Services. Dan's law firm's Hartman Winnicky is on that as well, and they are such a full-service law firm. Dan, at the end, will close out with that. Uh, my doctor is OptimalHealthWellnessNJ.com, OptimalHealthWellnessNJ.com. Dr. Joseph Samper, uh, Sambatero for a few hundred dollars a month, Concierge Medicine, Dan. You text him and he, he visits you, Zoom, comes to your house or whatever. No more waiting in doctor's offices, no more dealing with prescription plans or anything. He's the man. So OptimalHealthWellnessNJ.com. 
Remember, Lake Island Rifle and Pistol Club, L-A-K-E-I-S.org. Lake Island Rifle and Pistol Club is uh, doing wonderful things. If you have kids between 12 and 18 years old, they need them to compete in their small bore air rifle, small bore and air rifle competitions. My friend Sharon Decker at Zen Float Center on Park Avenue in Scotch Plains, zenfloatcenter.com. Uh, and also, the last thing, Sandy, you can talk about Guiding Range real quick right now while I wet my whistle. Tell well, them about Guiding Range. Guiding Range, you just heard um, from Guiding Range during the break. I hope you listened and didn't uh, fast forward through it. The voices of Guiding Range will be on the program for the next, oh, uh, maybe a few months or so until we get uh, a lot of the veterans heard. They are in absolute jeopardy of going kerplunk. Uh, and the program is absolutely magnificent. So please, again, like I said, if you could just give whatever, a single donation, a recurring donation, please go visit them at guidingrange, G-U-I-D-I-N-G-R-E-I-N-S dot org. Uh, and just see what they've got to do. Um, listen to the uh, voices of Guiding Range in, in the segments. And um, please open your heart to this organization. It's a magnificent, magnificent organization. Yes, please. Now... Uh, Dan, uh, you said when we were going into sensitive places, you said in, on record that the uh, you paused and you outright said that this bill was drafted in a fit of rage to spite the Supreme Court and the Bruin decision, and the bill was fast-tracked and had a lot of mistakes. Some we were able to correct and get removed, but there's still a mess left on the table. So multi-use buildings go from there, and then after multi-use buildings, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, what, what's standing and uh, a couple other things. Go ahead, hit it. Well, before I finish my uh, multi-use building uh, discussion, I really have to point out that um, your book, Anthony, makes wonderful gift i gave i gave your book as a gift to my loved ones and valentine's day is coming up i highly recommend ah, nice. people give your book to their loved ones for valentine's day thank you for the shameless plug i love it shameless no shame at all um no shame uh yeah th- so so what's what's so what's interesting what's interesting about this multi-use uh, property problem um, it is, as I said, it arises from this language that, that was used. And, you know, so much, and, and many of your listeners were following the progress of the bill as it made its way through committees, various committees, both in the Assembly and the Senate. And this bill really was very hastily drafted. The, mm-hmm. early, the early versions of the bill were just, some of the early versions of the bill were just off the wall in terms of uh, the things that were in there, the, the language that was used. Um, uh, you know, if you recall, the section seven, which has the prohibited places, originally prohibited weapons, which uh, which under New Jersey law could be anything: ordinary tools, a screwdriver, a hammer, a wrench. You know, it would have prevented um, someone coming in to fix the the bathroom in the courthouse. I mean, it was just. And this is this is what happens when you draft a law out of anger. Uh, rather than out of some real uh, respect for the people that the law is going to apply to. Um, that's exactly what happened. I mean, look, every, every, we all heard and watched the June 24th press conference that the governor held with the attorney general and the superintendent of state police. This was a, a pure emotional rage. Um, and, you know, they declared their, they made their promise that they were going to do whatever they can to undermine the Bruin decision of the Supreme Court, and this this is the this is the result of that rage. And when you do that, when you draft legislation with emotion and anger, um, you get you get language that that just does all kinds of things that that shouldn't shouldn't do. And that's where you get this sweeping language. I mean, they, they did it would not have occurred to them. Well, I shouldn't say that. It may very well have occurred to them. But the point is, when you draft, uh, you know, in anger you get language that basically would make an entire strip mall potentially uh, prohibited um, because of uh, one prohibited use in, in, the, in, the, uh, in the, the, on the property. Uh, so, so I think th- this was a very helpful and useful discussion that was had at oral argument. Um, we opened with that point because it's, it, it's, a, it's, important, it's, an important, uh, it's an important difference in our case, an important aspect of our case, that I wanted to make sure was not overlooked because you know when you when you think about you know the, well, first of all the state didn't, didn't really 
brief it. The state didn't really address it in their papers um, because I don't I don't think there is a good argument for you know for, for there is for why for why you should have such overbroad language um, and whether whether uh, whether one wants to sort of think about it as inadvertent or intentional there's really no way to justify it and the the, the discussion at oral argument uh, rapidly went in the direction of uh, shouldn't this be shouldn't this law be construed narrowly for a variety of reasons not the least of which is that Bruin requires that um, that these restrictions these sensitive place restrictions be narrow you know one of the this is something that I think I think we've talked about this before but the the, the state uh, and they, they've mentioned this, and various people have mentioned this uh, in sort of talking about, uh, some legislators have mentioned this, and um, that, that Bruin, in some strange way, invited states to find, uh, to, to, to come up with sensitive places and find analogies in the law and in the history. That's complete nonsense. The, 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 the Supreme Court did the exact opposite. The court didn't invite states to find ways to restrict people's right to carry. The court was very clear that the restrictions on right to carry should be uh, uh, should only be under extraordinary circumstances. That's what the, that's the language the court used. And what's good is that the uh, Judge Bum has more than once said and recognized that that that's, that is Bruin's message on sensitive places that they have to be narrow and and limited. So, hey Dan. Yes. So Dan, on private property, the judge was on fire. She took like it was like you and her were uh, tag teaming against uh, Angela Kai, and the judge the, the judge believes that the the state's uh, scheme with private property is a clever way for the state to ban carry using property uh, private property owners. But she said something interesting because she, Kai says that she has some historical uh, points and stuff, but you know she doesn't have them now. She's going to have them, but the judge said, "I don't think you're going to find any analog." But you know, and then she tries to do some uh, narrow stuff, but. She actually said, Bum said that uh, Thomas Jefferson riding on his horse and he stops on the edge of the acreage and does what? Ask if he can carry firearms on someone's property? This is hysterical. This is kind of sad for the state, isn't it? Well, the, 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 one of the things that the, that the judge did was uh, offer the state an opportunity to change her mind, essentially. Um, you know, remember, there are, we have multiple proceedings here, right? So there was the Coons TRO hearing. There's our TRO hearing. There's the preliminary injunction hearing that will be coming up, uh, uh, you know, uh, in, in a matter of weeks. Um, and these are all these are all what are called interlocutory rulings. Interlocutory means in the middle of the case, before the end of the case. None of these are final decisions of the court and so the court can always change its mind as the case goes along and you know and 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 appropriately the the the, the judge said to the the to the attorney general's uh, attorney general's office tell me why you think i'm wrong why, why was i wrong in coons uh in my decision in coons on this issue and and you know the 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 state has multiple times said things like well we have other examples. We have other citations. You know, there's, there's plenty. There's plenty of more for us to say, and the court has multiple times said, "Well, where is it? Why? Why, why haven't I seen it yet?" What are you hiding? And, Judge Baum said, "What are you hiding?" You know, this goes. This goes. She's, this goes. Right? This goes back to this idea, and I, I recall this. If, if I recall correctly, I'm trying to think. Of, I think this was in the Coons argument, um, a discussion of the fact that the legislature. When they were when they were uh, discussing the the bill, kept saying, uh, "We're certain that this is uh, constitutional. We're certain that the historical tradition supports this." <laughs> I believe the court asked the attorney general's office, "Well, did, you know, did, did you have the stuff that the legislature was uh, was relying on?" And I believe the answer was, "Well, no, we didn't talk to the legislature, or something like that." It was a while back, so I don't recall the exact language. But you would think, I mean, there's, there's, there's multiple things wrong with this whole thought process, this whole approach by the state of New Jersey. Number one, if you're going to pass a law and you know that the constitutional standard is that there has to be a historical tradition that supports 
the law, you would expect that they would have the historical tradition in hand before they vote for it. But of course they don't. They don't have the historical tradition, and I'm sure, and, and, and by the way, the, the legislators were asked multiple times in hearings, what is the historical basis for it? And nobody ever answered that question because they didn't have one. You know, and if I'm the attorney general's office, you know, the first thing I would do is if the, if the legislators were saying they had, they knew that it was constitutional and they had the historical tradition and they knew what the historical citations were, ask them, well, what are you relying on, right? And the answer is going to be, well, we don't really know. I mean, the, 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 there, is, there none. is none. We right. know that, right. right? You know that. We both know there is none. And so does the judge. And, and then other legislators also said, well, We've been assured by the Attorney General that it's constitutional. Okay, that's fine. Well, if that's the case, then they must already have in hand the relevant citations. So where are they? Why aren't they in the original papers? These historical citations that, that supposedly establish consistency with the historical tradition should already have been in hand before the governor signed the law. There should be no additional research that they need to do. There should be no additional explanation that they need to provide, no additional analysis. It should be sitting in a memo somewhere. It should have been sitting in a memo on December 22nd when the governor put pen to paper. And it wasn't. And, and it, it, it's a disgrace. It really is. You know, I mean, and so it's, it's, it's understandable when the, when the state keeps saying this, and the, the, the court shows frustration, it's completely understandable because, we, we, you know, it should all be on paper, you know, uh, already. They, they should have been able to drop it in a brief, you know, uh, uh, with that, in a modular fashion. Should, they should have been able to drop a brief point in on a memo that should have been prepared months ago. So, you know, it's just, it's very frustrating when you hear that stuff. You know, um so it's going to work out into our favor, I think, in the long run because of their, you know, expeditious ignorance, so to speak. Because, they're, you know, we, we, we're, we're legislating, again, everything today in our government is everything's done through tantrum. And uh, luckily we have a level-headed judge. But now uh, the timeline, so you're looking, the judge is going to issue probably like a, a TRO for other sensitive places. She might go with some of them. She might go with all of them. We don't know at this point, right? That'll be the next thing? Right. The next thing we should see is a ruling on our TRO motion. No idea when she's going to uh, issue a ruling. Um, the last time uh, she heard the argument on a Thursday and issued a ruling Monday morning. Maybe she'll do the same thing. Maybe no. not. There's no, there's no way to know. And, and look, and she, I mean, Anthony, she, realistically, I mean, it's, it's it's certainly possible that there could be a ruling even before this airs. Um, I just, you know, yeah. it depends on. It, this is Friday afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Know, uh, by the way, know, so we don't we don't actually know, we could see something over the weekend. I mean, maybe not. You know, so uh, we could see something Monday. We could see something Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I mean, there's just no way to know. You know, when we're going to see sure. something. But but we've, now, we've already seen one ruling, and that was three days. So we'll see what happens. Sorry, now the state days. submitted a a, a a schedule, and the the, the uh, judge rejected their schedule. Correct. Right. So th they proposed. So so the the parties in Coons were were previously under a direction from the court to submit a proposed schedule for the next round, the preliminary injunction round. Now that that instruction, um, that instruction uh, came before the consolidation order. Uh, so actually, I think there was a, a proposed schedule originally, but then they modified it. So once the once the consolidation took place, the state then proposed a schedule for both cases together for the preliminary injunction phase. The problem with the schedule that the state was proposing is that it was what's called bifurcated. They were splitting it up into pieces, which makes no sense because the whole reason for consolidating, allegedly, was for efficiency purposes so that things were done together and not piecemeal. Um, and then here they are proposing to break it up into pieces again. Um, and so what would happen what would be is certain pieces would be decided. They'd be appealed to the Third Circuit. Uh, then other pieces would be decided later, and they'd be appealed to the Third Circuit. You'd have appeals going up and down, back and forth. It made no sense. So we opposed it, and we put in a letter to the judge saying it just, it just makes absolutely no sense to break it up into small pieces. It should all be dealt with at the same time. And the judge agreed with us. You know, and it's, you know, it's, it's very practical. Uh, the judge agreed. It was just that it was the state just trying to wear us down, right? Because they have unlimited resources and they have unlimited time. So they were just trying to get a few more years out of this, a few more months Perhaps. out of this. I mean, is it, that what it know, is? It's hard to know exactly what, what their thinking was, but 
um, you know, it, it was it was presumably something that would advantage them at our expense, and it just didn't it just didn't make sense, you know. So the the judge uh, instructed the parties to you know consult, you know, meet and confers. It's called meeting and conferring, is what it's, you know, the terminology. Now, now and also propose a schedule to the judge. Angela kind of uh, inferred a little bit like if, if if somebody like me made a mistake with sensitive places and we were going to an area that was allowed to carry and we passed through an area that wasn't allowed, if a cop was there, the cop would like just let us go or something, you know, and you, you took a you took a, a hard line on that saying, you know, we're talking about felony, felony charges here we're playing around with, right? It's not like just trespass or something. Am I correct? Well, did I get that right? So, so uh, you talk, you're, are you talking about the... Are you talking about the um, the, the discussion about the the, um, the multi-use property discussion, or, or yes, yes, multi-use well, so, property so what discussion? State, what the state was arguing was that there were two sections in the law that already took care of the multi-use property uh, problem. Uh, they were citing to section seven C and section D. Section C and section D address certain aspects of passing through parking lots and things like that. Um, you know, our position was that those sections don't actually say what the state said they said. Um, and <coughs> I don't believe that if we were just relying on section C and section D, that that's, that solves the problem. Um, there are certain aspects of those sections that are helpful, but it, it doesn't really get to the core of the multi-use property problem because those sections don't deal with all aspects of real estate. They deal with parking lots. And so, um, and and certain right of ways, but but it doesn't it doesn't solve the breadth of the problem. You know, we, we took a, we spent a lot of time on Thursday detailing the different ways that we thought the multi use property problem man, could manifest itself. As, as I mentioned, strip malls, professional buildings or office buildings, you know, houses of worship. I mean, and that's not ex, that's not exclusive. But those are the three big those are the three big. Uh, uh, the large ways in which you, you might see that problem and the references to, to those two sections 17 17 that don't don't solve the problem um, you know we're hoping to see uh, based and again based upon the very detailed discussion in our at oral argument um, we're, we're hoping to see a ruling that accounts for this problem in, in each of the ways we detailed uh, it was very mm -hmm. important that we lay out, how the problem and all the different ways the problem can manifest itself because we're hope we're hoping for a ruling that sort of nails it in, in each manifestation of this problem so that, that the, we're hoping that the judge will rule in a way that solves this for us um, in all the different ways it might it might crop up so that, that I mean that's that's kind of ideal for us if we, if we can get that that's a that's a real win on that particular issue so that's that's what we're hoping we're looking for on that issue you you killed it with that. You covered so much detail. And again, uh, we you always getting yelled at for talking too fast. Cut back on the espressos before you go to court in the morning. You, you, the court reporter can't keep up to you, Dan. Anthony, you're gonna deny me my coffee in the morning? Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> but the court, yeah, yeah, she can't keep up with you. Her fingers were were flames were coming out of her fingers. Flames well, and so, smoke so, were coming so, out of her so, fingers. So this is funny. So so for. Uh, so the the before the judge came out, the, the court reporter and I had a conversation because um, I, I don't know if, I don't know if, they, I don't know if they, he just knew I don't know if my reputation preceded me as far as being <laughs> of, like, being out of control. But court look, court reporters hate me. It's just it, it's I just I'm doing this more than thirty years and I can't slow down. It's just ridiculous. You would think you would think that I would have a technique for slowing down, but um, so the court reporter and I were talking and we. And you know, I assured him I would do the best I could to to, to slow down, and he you know, he was a nice guy. So, within like the first ten seconds, uh, that when we went on the you know when the judge called me up to, to to argue, I'm like racing, and the judge stopped me immediately and said, "Mr. Schmutz, you have to slow down." And and and, it, and oh, this is the funny thing. So the the court reporter says to me. Oh yeah, you know the judge talks really fast too. So the first thing the judge said when she stopped me while we we're on the record, she goes, "Yeah, I talk really fast too," you know. But um, so we so we so we made a deal. So the judge said, "Okay, if you're going too fast, I'm going to make a sign, and I'm going to and I'm going to I'm going to tell you to slow down," you know. And, and she did that a few times, and it actually worked really well because you know I go flying off the handle, and she does the sign, and suddenly I slow down. 
and it, after the fact, oh, shit. the reporter said it actually worked out really well. He was actually he was able to follow everything. So, you know that that is uh, that's that's one of that's one of the my New Year's resolutions. It's still January, at least for now. I still get to say, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna do my best in 2023 to to try to slow down when I'm arguing in court. So, but so so you you know. There's, you know, you've researched this. So now, after this, we start the the schedule for the preliminary injunction, right? Right. So, and you know, the state has nothing, no other arrows in their quiver at this point. Well, we don't know that. I mean, correct. We don't know. We don't know what they're going to say. I mean, I don't expect to see anything really fresh and new. But who knows? I don't know what they're going to come up with. I mean, that's that's why that's why there's a, uh, another round because the preliminary injunction is an opportunity to. Make a fuller record, uh, um, you know, a more detailed record, you know, extra stuff. I mean, like the TRO, I mean, this, the TRO, our TRO was unusually long in terms of the time frame. Um, and that's only because of the various adjournments and the consolidation. And, you know, we, we're, we originally were supposed to be heard on January 9th. That, that then got yes. moved to January 12th because Judge Bum's decision in Coons came down the morning of January 9th, right before we went on the record with Judge Williams. So that got put off for three days. And then the consolidation put it off even longer. Um, so it is unusual that we that we got heard on our TRO application more than a month after we filed our motion. It's very unusual. It's, it's purely uh, a result of the, the various procedural things that came up. So typically TROs are heard pretty quickly on a, uh, what is potentially a more limited record, um, in this case, the records actually, the TRO records actually really full. I mean, the TRO, this TRO records quite quite substantial and 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 you know quite uh, quite good. Um, but you don't always the TRO record is not always you know uh, nearly as full. And so a preliminary injunction is an opportunity to to you know add more to the record, make it fuller, make it more substantial, make it richer. Uh, you know, and and that could be very well be the case. We might see new things from from the state. You know, we'll we'll see when they file. And they file their papers. You know, once a schedule is established, they'll file their papers. I'm not sure what they're going to, what new stuff they're going to come up with, and they may not come up with anything new. But we'll see. We'll see what we'll see when they file, and then we'll deal with it. I, we'll I, deal with it I, as it comes. I feel, I feel confident you're you're prepared uh, for this. Yeah, no, I think we'll be prepared and, for uh, it. Even if there's new stuff, I think we'll be able to. You know, to so now it. let's say we you you guys come up with the court schedule, and so let's say we go to court. The state. You, us, ANGRPC, Judge Bum rules in our favor in ninety percent of it, and it becomes law. So they'll appeal the same day to the Third Circuit, right? I don't know if they're going to appeal the same day. There's a, there's a time but, frame, but they, they will they will appeal they will appeal as soon as possible to we, the Third we Circuit. We would expect them to appeal to the Third Circuit. Um, and now, could the Third Circuit strip our TROs? Well, the Third Circuit could rule however you know whatever way they they, they think to rule. I mean, the Third Circuit is going to look at. The, whatever ruling comes from Judge Bum, and is going to determine whether the judge was correct or not. Um, and it also depends on the nature of the the nature of the ruling and the nature of the uh, appeal. So, different kinds of rulings are entitled to different kinds of deference uh, by the appellate court. So, certain kinds of rulings are entitled to deference, meaning that the court doesn't just the appellate court doesn't just say, "Well, we disagree with that. We think it should be this way." Um, and other kinds of rulings are are uh, entitled to no deference at all. So, for example, legal rulings, like rulings on what the law is, there is no deference. The 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 appellate court can simply decide that the judge got it wrong. The judge is wrong on the, the trial judge is wrong on the law. This is what the law is, and therefore we're going to reverse the judge's ruling on that. And that's called de novo review. It's just from scratch. Other uh, uh, other other uh, rulings, um, particularly as it relates to findings of fact, are entitled to a, a certain amount of deference. And so, for example, the, the court has to determine that the judge um, failed to meet a certain threshold uh, in order, or a certain threshold of rigor, in order to make those uh, the, reach those conclusions or findings. And so, different depend, depending upon what sorts of issues are being appealed. The, the the Third Circuit will be able to do certain things or not do certain other things. So we, we won't know until we know what the trial court's rulings actually are and what's going to be appealed and how and on what grounds are going to be appealed. We won't know what standards the Third Circuit will apply. Um, and part of what an appeal, part of the appeal process is, you 
argue to the appellate court what the standard of appeal should be. Um, and so sometimes there's an argument as to what the correct standard on appeal is. Um, how should the appellate court look at these things? What sort of deference, if any, should the appellate court give the trial court's rulings? And so that's part of the appeal, you know, as to whether whether what kind of standard should be uh, applied. And of course, the party appealing wants to argue that the least deference is owed to the trial court, and the party yeah. defending the ruling wants to argue that the most deference should be given to the trial court. So those are the the, the things that we're going to see down the road, you know, when this uh, when this gets uh, goes up to the third circuit. Uh, so I'm going to uh, wrap it up in a minute, and I'm going to let you close off. I just want to do a few housekeeping things. Next week I have another story, Darius Davis. I'm going to be talking about another Patterson um, travesty uh, with someone denied their rights, a right delayed is a right denied. And uh, also the code word for J-Factor is I joined CNJFO. I joined CNJFO is the code word. If you don't have the code word, do not bother J-Factor. Leave him alone. Also, we have. if you go to the Gun For Hire website, gunforhire.com, the second block is the New Jersey uh, CCW permit. You click on it. And uh, we're updating. We have the link to Evan Knappen's uh, legal updates, and our updates are right there, too. We're wired in with the police departments, with the state police directives, uh, like the application form change. It's for references now. Obviously, Dan is addressing all of that in his litigation. Uh, and I'm going to have Dan close now with his, his – he's going to talk about his firm and what his firm does. And, again, Dan, can't thank you enough, uh, but I want you to uh, keep plugging away and make sure you get your sleep and eat your uh, greens. So without further ado, Dan, close the show with a commercial for Hartman Winicky, please. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Um, so um, You're welcome. my firm is Hartman and Winicky. We are in uh, Ridgewood, um, and it's a uh, – we do – it's a it's – a, we're a small firm. We, do, we have a, a, a good general practice for both businesses and individuals. Um, we do, uh, for individuals, we do all sorts of, uh, we do real estate, we do estate planning, all sorts of things like that. For businesses, we do really anything, any kind of business law, leasing, contracts, uh, litigation, business disputes, business transactions. So it's, it's a nice general practice uh, firm. And if I have a minute, I do want to thank... Uh, not just your listeners, but everybody um, who in the, in the Second Amendment community who are really coalescing around this effort. It's really nice to see. You know, we see this on social media, but we also see people coming down to the courthouses um, to to listen and, and enjoy and uh, be interested in the proceedings. And the people that come down, they they comport themselves as ladies and gentlemen. Um, they they comport themselves as as interested citizens. I'm really proud of of the 2A community. I mean, folks are just interested, engaged. They're they're discussing. They're asking questions. They're you know then you go you have guy got the guys who are coming down and reporting uh, what's going on, which is fabulous. You have young folks. Uh, there was a young man, 17 year old young man, Brendan, who who came down and showed interest. Uh, was asking questions. Um, you know, the next generation who are interested in, in their constitutional rights and in the rights of the people. This is really important stuff, you know. And, my, you know, he asked me advice on how he can be engaged. And I said, you know, join the organizations, but, you know, also just talk about this stuff. Engage yes. people in conversation. Mm -hmm. Yes. You, yep. you know, it's exactly. not just about litigation. It's about talking to your neighbors. It's about talking to your friends or, and talking to strangers that you meet. Just talk about what it's like to be free individuals. Talk about what it's like to be in the greatest country in the history of the human race when it comes to individual liberty. Um, because, you know, it's a cliche, but freedom isn't free. You, you always have to be part nope. of the active struggle to maintain your liberty. And if you stop doing it, you're going to lose it. And so everybody's got to be part of it. Everybody's got to be engaged, but polite, but strong, and intelligent, and inquisitive. This is the struggle. This is how this stuff works. And the stuff that we do in court is only supported by the stuff everybody else does, you know, in, in daily life. So I, I want to just Amen thank all the that. people who are engaged in the community, because it's, without that effort and without that energy, you know, we couldn't do this stuff. 
Dan, could not set it better myself. Each one, reach one. I just say it in that small thing, but what Dan said is right. Unity and activism. Teach the, the civics to the younger generations yes, because absolutely. they stopped teaching in school for a reason. Yep. Sandy, take us home. Well, uh, Dan, thank you so much for everything that you do and for being with us, taking the time out of your busy, busy schedule to be with us today. Yeah, looks like the uh, clock, looks like the clock on the wall says it all. We wasted yet another perfectly good hour of your time. Thanks for listening to Gun for Hire Radio. Gun for Hire Radio is a Catholic media production. The music is in this broadcast is managed by Cosmo Music, New York, New York. On behalf of our show host, master trainer Anthony Calandro, author of Crime Proof: Think Like a Criminal and Beat Them at Their Own Game, available wherever good books are sold, especially at the gun store, gun range, gun shop and bookstore called Gun For Hire. You can get your book there and maybe even signed by the author if he's in a good mood. We love you guys. Maybe. (laughs) Maybe. We love you guys from the shadows of the New York City skyline and the beautiful foothills of the Carolinas. God willing, Jesus Harris and the batteries hold out. We will see you again next week. And I'm going to Carolina